RPFM across the Mornington Peninsula. Great to have your company this Thursday morning. The age stage is what you're tuned up to on 98.7, 98.3. Proudly sponsored by Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia. Grandparents Victoria, GPV, has just released a new report of a 2018 survey of 50 grandparents on the varying roles they play within Victorian families and the community. Glad to say that we can welcome back to the microphone Anne McLeish of uh, Grandparents Victoria and Australia and also uh, Kinship Services Victoria as well. And welcome back. Thank you, Brendan. How are you? Very, very well, thank you. And welcome back to the age stage. Now, firstly, I guess, and I've got to ask, why is it necessary that we've got to survey the role of grandparents, do you think? Because we need to get some fine detail around what grandparents are doing for their families. It's only when we've got that substantive detail and fine detail that we can start talking about what it is that we think government and the wider community and indeed families themselves should be doing to support grandparents in their challenging role. So before we get on to some of the elements of what you've discovered, would you say generally it's fair to say that grandparents are providing a pivotal role in the modern family? Oh, most definitely. Um, In fact, such a pivotal role that in some families um, there's acknowledgement that without the grandparents the family would really struggle if not fall over. Let me contrast that then with the sociologist that was saying in the 60s and 70s with the advent of the nuclear family, the two plus two scenario, two parents, two kids, they really sort of downplayed the role of grandparent but practical reality means that grandparents are stepping up. It's always been the case that grandparents stepped up um, and now in the 21st century they're stepping up more often and in more sophisticated and more demanding ways. So um, if we thought that the pressure on grandparents to support families was going to diminish over time, then we're mistaken. So your findings then, you surveyed 50 grandparents with a view to what? Informing your policies and government policy? Informing our policies first. Um, We knew a lot of what's come out in the report, but we wanted to give a few grandparents the opportunity to embroider our story and to give us a bit more information to work with. Uh, Um, The the surprise for us is the growth in financial support that grandparents are offering families. And in some cases, that goes on right through to the grandparents being quite elderly and they are dipping into their superannuation funds to support their families now. Um... This is a very small sample, Brendan, but if that's a trend, I think the nation needs to know that and we need to plan ahead for that. Well, we do indeed. Um, But before we get on to some of those elements, and of course the financial assistance is one of the key findings that's come out of this survey of yours, um, is the government, both state and federal, understanding what is going on here in the dynamics of the modern family, do you think? No, not very well. They do in the families where the family is obviously under pressure and governments have to step in. In the areas, for example, in child protection, they know quite well um, the pressures that those families are under and they know quite well some of the things that they need to do to support the families. What they haven't realised yet is that they should be drawing on grandparents more and earlier to support families at serious risk of um, disintegrating and that governments need to do more to support those grandparents to play that role. For example, we're now hearing conversations amongst the grandparents around the need um, to 
government to contribute to grandparents' superannuation funds where the grandparents need to give up work to help their family survive. Well, that's a pretty drastic move, isn't it? So in other words, you're basically saying that government policy is there to sort of staunch the bleeding when it gets to a very bad case of hemorrhaging, but they're not doing much to maybe prevent it getting to that stage. Not nearly enough, that's correct. And they're not... Within, within that, um, we've, we should be thinking much more creatively about the role of grandparents as a preventative measure. Let's just remind you that you tuned up to the Eight Stage and McLeish, our guest today, uh, Director of Grandparents and uh, Australia and also Victoria and also uh, Kingship Carers or Kinship Carers. Um, and great to have your company. Um, so let's then get into the nitty gritty of the report. As you said, 50 grandparents surveyed with a view to perhaps emphasising some of the issues that you'd seen. Um, what were the major findings then? Well, we're a bit surprised by the fact that so many grandparents who are still working even try to support their families and support the wider community. So we've got um, quite elderly grandparents doing all of those three things, working part-time, supporting their family with childcare, for example, or financial assistance, and um, working as volunteers in the community. That's quite a substantial workload. And it is quite a lot of pressure as well for a person that theoretically should be enjoying retirement in their later years. They're stepping up and obviously really putting a shoulder in. The consequences to them? They are. There are consequences, and um, I think that the grandparents blur the consequences. They talk about the fact that they, they are committed to their communities and they love their families and they want to help and that in both instances, whatever they do is a labour of love. But uh, um, at the same time, we see that their health is deteriorating. Uh, a few of them admit to the, to the price that they pay in terms of their own health and well-being, and they're being more prepared to talk about that as time goes on. Well, why then this commitment? You would think that perhaps they would be able to concentrate their resources on the immediate needs of their family rather than getting generous with their communities and driven by this need to be philanthropic. I haven't got to the bottom of why that, but it's a very good question. Um, I, I would guess that it's about them wanting to be loyal to past um, commitments that they've had to their community, bearing in mind that a number of them work as volunteers in their church. So that's not something that they're going to give up easily, is it? Um, others of them base their volunteer work on the experiences of their family. So they work in hospitals, for example. Well, there's always a story behind that level of, and that type of volunteer work. So they never give up on their, their volunteer work very easily. And they can't give up on their families. It's not an option. Well, they're obviously not doing that. They're dipping into their superannuation, you're claiming as well. They're probably working longer and extending, at least in a part-time mode, uh, their careers as well to try and support and assist another generation coming through, maybe even two generations when you count in the grandkids. Absolutely true. And that, that uh, multi-generation support, um, we can see that particularly in relation to attendance to kindergarten and school. So... Child care, obviously another big element that they're providing as well then. Yes, it is. And the, the, the amount of child care that grandparents are providing while parents work is increasing. Um, the last productivity report in Australia quite some years ago, about 14, I think, 2014, said it was 40%. Well, it'd be more than that now. And that's a trend that's happening right around the world, Brendan. 
and also, I guess, Uber transport services as well. Grandparents there to pick the kids up, drop them off, get them to school, get them to sports and activities and extracurricular activities as well, I guess. Particularly in the school holidays and all of that costs money, yes. So it's all down to the big dollar, do you think, that this is changing the dynamic of the social structure of our family? Well, money is a big factor in it. I don't want to um, blame any one factor, but certainly um, financial support is um, something... The proportion of it is, and the length of time that it goes on is something quite new. In fact, um, out of America, there's just a report that's just been released very recently and we're putting on our website um, illustrating the amount of money that the 70 million grandparents in America are pumping into their families. Um, They've got the resources to do wide-scale national um, investigation of these matters, more than we do in this country. In fact, there's no political will in this country to do this sort of research, but they're finding that um, there's billions of dollars um, being um, provided by grandparents. So, and when you look at America, it's particularly in the areas of education where it's so costly and um, uh, not readily accessible. So basically what you're saying is that we've got a new dynamic in our welfare, welfare system here in Australia. I think it's emerging, yes. And, it's, and we need to monitor it in terms of what's equitable because if um, getting access to good health care and good education becomes reliant on the grandparents subsidising it, then many families are not going to have access to those things and we should never um, allow that to happen by default. So in other words, you're saying that this does speak to perhaps disenfranchising big elements within the Australian society if this trend continues and government doesn't recognise it? That's exactly what I would caution against. So what are you going to do about the government then, both state and federal, and how do you move from here, do you think? Well, we're always raising these issues um, with governments. And as soon as the federal election is over, we'll be sending a copy of this report with some um, suggestions to whoever is in the new government. Um, we've, we engaged in the um, argy-bargy leading up to the calling of the election by writing a series of letters around these sorts of issues to federal politicians. And because we're based in Victoria, we're always um, yakking to the politicians here, whoever they are. But really, I mean, with an election, people are using it to leverage the government. Have you felt so inclined? Have you had any benefit from the election and perhaps the government being a little bit more generous, at least federally? Well, time will tell, but we we hope so. We hope for an all-up more humane and responsive welfare system out of this election. I think the government has received um, messages from several quarters around... Um, the unfairness of some of their Centrelec systems. Parents Next, for example, has been fairly roundly criticised in the way that it actually doesn't support families but but punishes them. And when that happens, the fallout comes back to the grandparents. Well, you would think that this is quite a a, a large sector of the Australian community and that uh, if they were politicised in some way, they could exert some huge pressure on the government to get some changes, or recognition at least. Well, they certainly could. Um, we're a long way from that, though, because grandparents are not one homogenous group. And while they raise these issues and they're very concerned about their families, they're still inclined to vote on retirement and tax issues. And I note um, the level of debate in recent days around tax becoming the, the issue for the election, which is a bit narrow. 
So you, as a, as a study group and an oversighting group, are you going to get into the political fray and start sort of punching them out? Well, we always, we, we do, but we do it ever so politely. But we might have to get less and less polite as time goes on. So how and where do you get the imprimatur to do that? Who gives you that licence, do you think, Anne? Well, these sorts of surveys, plus the multiple conversations we have with people, and my board will, will um, also decide what it is that we say and what it is that we don't say to politicians. Well, you accord- but we always take a fairly balanced approach. We actually do not raise issues related to the well-being of the grandparents so much. We always look at things through the grandparents' eyes and, t- and comment about well-being of families. And when you do that, there's very little um, difference. Most people agree quite readily, for example, that childcare is a mess and not, not uh, readily available to families. You mentioned that you're based here in Victoria. Is there a case then that you're going to have to affiliate around the country and get the other states on board as well with peer pressure groups in the respective states and territories? Well, the more that we do do that, the better, of course, yes. So when you then look in summary at what uh, this study is showing you, Anne, are you despairing of the family unit going forward or do you think we're embracing a new definition with policy just slow to catch up on it? The latter. I never, I never feel full of despair about families. I think that where families are um, changing shape, um, the nuclear family is gone for all time, and that policy has to recognise that, and that policy has to recognise that one of the effects, for example, of government policies encouraging older people to stay in the workforce is um, some of the pressures that I've described to you now about... It just creates another role for grandparents. It doesn't dissolve all the other things that they want to do for community and family. And what about other things like sort of social policy and building and development processes as well? I mean, with the ability to provision for older people to stay underneath a single roof or in granny flats or something like that so that basically the resources of a family can be collectivised and perhaps spent across two or three generations. We haven't canvassed that um, seriously, only informally, Brendan, and the baby boomers are not likely to go for those sorts of solutions. The baby boomers, they're used to having their own space with their own ensuite, and they're even demanding that in aged care. So they're, they're less likely to go for that sort of option, I think, but they do want to be close to their, to their multiple generations below them. But they do like um, advocacy, they do like their own space, and they do like a little bit of indulgence. So therefore, you would think that they're prime candidates to make sure that the government hears this message loud and clear going forward. Absolutely. That's, that's the nerve that we have to touch. And thank you so much indeed for joining us on the Age Stage today. Anne McLeish, of course, who is uh, Director of uh, Grandparents.com, both here in Victoria and also in Australia, and Kingship Carers. Australia as well, or Victoria. And how do we get in touch with you? How do we read into some of the stuff that you have been producing, publishing and providing? Just um, Google the website, Grandparents Victoria. It'll all pop up, hopefully. And thank you so much for joining us on the Age Stage today. We always appreciate it when you join us. You're welcome. And McLeish on the HH. Thank you very much indeed. And on the other side of the break, Warren Haynes of Aftercare Australasia. We haven't caught up with him for a couple of weeks and there has been a lot going on in the sector. We're going to be finding out uh, what he thinks about uh, the election, superannuation, a major aged care provider in the crosshairs and, of course, that all-important Royal Commission. This is the Age Stage and you're tuned up to RPPFM. 
RWPFM across the Mornington Peninsula, great to have your company this Thursday morning, of course, and uh, good friends at Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia, very kindly supporting our ability to get this program to where we appreciate it very much indeed. Speaking of Aftercare Australasia, as he does every other week, Warren Haynes has dropped by to say hello to us. Good morning, Warren. Good morning, Brendan. Since we last spoke, Warren, a lot has been happening. We're in the midst now of a general election. We might get on to a few little themes that we've seen crop up there. Um, more importantly, of course, the Royal Commission uh, is sort of continuing to look mm. at the area you're involved with. Mm. Um, you, of course, specialise in home care packages. Yes. But once again, uh, the uh, the sector also being questioned, this time Booper seems to be in a little bit of a problem as well. If we just quickly look at some of the news headlines over the last week or so. Yeah, look, certainly they're under quite a bit of scrutiny. There seems to be a very strong suggestion that they've in fact been uh, overcharging quite a few of their residential aged care clients. I mean, we, we need to see how that unfolds, but that's that's certainly the allegation at this stage. So once again, this model then, uh, and this sector, this industry, it's just getting all the wrong sorts of headlines at the moment, isn't it? Well, and, and, and one of the things that, uh, that I think is quite concerning overall I mean again not for us uh, not for aftercare as a company because we specialize in the home care packages but for a lot of these um, these companies that provide the residential um, aged care they're, they're large companies with large overheads they've got investors to keep happy there some of them are listed companies so they've got the share market to keep happy um, and this is really causing major issues for them. We've seen the share price of the three biggest um, listed companies uh, drop significantly over investor fears about these changes in the industry and obviously the bad publicity coming out of aged care, uh, the Aged Care Commission. So there's, there's quite a few financial implications in this and obviously it, it creates quite a few dilemmas for the government, Brendan, because... They want the industry to be viable. They've they've essentially uh, set up an arrangement now where, like a lot of a lot of these what used to be public type service uh, arrangements, they're now all privately owned, and they literally could not afford for uh, large sectors of the aged care industry to fall over financially. It would be enormously disruptive. We we have to remember that uh, even if they're not being run to the standard that we want them run. Uh, residential aged care has become the homes of tens of thousands of Australians and so they could end up being homeless if, if some of these um, facilities actually become uh, not economically viable anymore. So well, I'm sure the government would allow that to happen and have to intervene in some form or other. But basically what you're doing is you're sort of questioning a model, perhaps a viability in terms of, some of, in, in terms of the sector? Yeah, look, oh, that's my opinion. Um, uh, as, as we were discussing before, I, I, I feel that it's probably going to need something like the Productivity Commission to have a look after the Aged Care Commission has finished into where do we go from here, where does the industry go from here. It seems as though the, the government has perhaps uh, quite reasonably relied on you know market forces to... Um, to sort of drive this. And what's actually happened is that there's been a rush to invest in what we're seen as being, you know, endless money-making machines 
Um, and so now there's all of these uh, investors wanting their money back in one form or another or wanting a return on their investment um, that seem to be driving large sectors of the aged care um, industry to a point where they're, they're virtually not profitable. Um, this is we're something a, else that's We're in out. an amazing state of affairs, really. We've got a Royal Commission going on. We heard Anne McLeish earlier on in the program talking about the pressures on grandparents. Mm. I mean, they're providing uh, care, after-school care. They're providing the Uber drive to and from school. And they're propping a lot of generations, not only the immediate generation, but three generations up in some instances in some families with financial assistance. Now, if they're being hurt... And uh, they're being basically gouged in some instances when they're trying to set themselves up in their later retirement. Mm. Hell of a lot of pressure on this generation, these grandparents, these Mm. people. Mm. And I I think that there's been an over-reliance by by a succession of governments on this assumption that uh, Australian levels of home ownership are going to stay really high. And there's pretty strong evidence coming through now that suggests that there's been a quite significant decline in uh, in home ownership, something in the order of, I think, uh, 10% or so um, from the early 2000s to now, and that that trend, if anything, is going to accelerate. So um, you've often got uh, situations where our, our older citizens who do own a home are acting as using their home as collateral for children to borrow uh, against so that or as security um, for for a loan for their, um, their you know the next generation to be able to have their own home uh, or they're sharing their household so it's a it's a multi-generational household so but then the aged care system expects that when people are looking at going into residential aged care they've either got to stump up an enormous um, bond based on the value of their home or in fact in some circumstances there's still an expectation that they are going to be able to look at selling selling that home so the the all of this the current model for the industry is based very heavily on home ownership and it seems as though that's not going to be really sustainable as we go forward so where does the business model go forward then as you see it uh, warren well uh, to be honest with you, I don't know. Um, you know, because we're not in residential aged care, I, I'm, I'm very glad to say it's not something we have to worry about a lot. And uh, aftercare, but as, as, a, a, as an Australian taxpayer, you might have to in in the years ahead if the if the business model is being questioned quite fundamentally in some instances. Well, yes. Look, I think I think it, that's certainly true. I think all taxpayers are probably going to have to recognise that it is essentially a public service, and it is going to need continue to need substantial um, public investment. I mean, currently the industry's roughly twenty billion dollars a year, so it's a it's a very big industry, and it's only going to grow. the The demand is going to grow. They're talking about something in the order of six and a half million Australians um, in the next sort of twenty years or so uh, being in the aged. Uh, aged demographic so we're we're talking about an enormous demand that's coming but uh, I have to say the current models are really um, not viable long term I think that's the broader issue Uh, I was about to point out Brendan uh, aftercare is in a a very fortunate position because we're a family owned company Um, we don't have um, huge investors we're a company that's built up 
Um, gradually over time, as I've said before, we've been in the industry for 20 years and uh, as a private company. And, uh, and fortunately for us, it means that our financial structures are such that these issues don't really concern us. It's one of the reasons that we're able to keep our prices so low is that, um, you know, it's, it's really just needing to make a reasonable amount of return on investment for the owners of the company, um, which is just one family. So that, that certainly simplifies things, and that, that's why we're able to pass on such good value to our customers. And if you're just joining us, a reminder that you're tuned up to RWPFM, your local radio station, coming to you live from the Bendigo Bank Studio right here in Wilson's Road. The Age Stage program is currently going to air. I'm Brendan Telfer with Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia. And just for editorial balance, Warren, we must, of course, point out that the Royal Commission has also targeted uh, the home care sector in its most recent stanzas as well and there have been some practices there that have not been uh, quite as um, well crispy clean as we might have hoped or anticipated. I mean there have been some issues about practice and turnover of staff and, and so on so there some been some serious concerns about your sector as well. Yeah look absolutely Brendan and look uh, it, it's like a lot of these situations that come up in various industries where uh, the the really uh, good players that are involved, we we welcome these sorts of uh, shining light on some of the more unscrupulous um, practices that go on. What we've seen, as I've mentioned quite a few times, you know, we've been doing this this business for twenty years. You, we're in it for the long haul. Whereas, unfortunately, uh, what we've seen is, and this is some of what's been reported in the uh, Aged Care Commission, is that. Uh, with the changes about two years ago, there was a bit of a perception perhaps by investors that, that had previously had nothing to do with the industry that there was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a gold rush going on, a bit of a gold mine potentially. And so there was a whole lot of brand new companies that sprung up. There was a whole lot of purchasing of existing companies by investors. And then rebranding. And I have said to, uh, I often do say to clients that are ringing up and asking, you know, well, who should I look at? Um, to make sure that they look into the history of the company a little bit. Because you'll often get people say, a company's claim, you know, oh, yes, you know, we've been in business for 50 years. And when you actually look into it, it's like, yes, the original company ran, you know, a 40 bed nursing home somewhere for 35 years. And then Three years ago, it got bought out by a group of investors um, who who are the people you're dealing with now who really are brand new to the industry and don't understand its nuances. And, and they've, if they've invested a lot of money... They will want to find a way to, to get it to get it back. In. Late in the diligence is necessary for people making very important decisions about their lives. Late in the diligence is necessary for people making very important decisions about their lives late in their lives as well and uh, the the onus is very much on them and it's sort of buyer beware to a degree mm. and that's puts them in an invidious position sometimes when they're having to make these massive decisions about what to do with the family home the superannuation the kids the expectations the grandkids i mean huge pressures on people yes. you know well one of the things i would really encourage families to do brendan is if they feel as though they haven't had the opportunity to properly um test the market as such 
Uh, and it does take time to do that. And then they need to ring My Age Care and explain that they need an extension on the time that they're allowed to take up their package. And how is that uh, service from My Age Care these days? Because we've had a lot of reports here about uh, people very frustrated with that process. Uh, look, I, my observation out in the field is that it seems to have improved. Um, I, I, that said, you do have to recognise that you're you're calling something that's equivalent to a large a large government department, and so um, you know I generally say to people that I'm assisting because occasionally I'll assist people with that process because they perhaps don't you know know which questions to ask. I usually say to them, look, allow about half an hour to um to get the you know the questions answered that you need answered and that's you know that you, you might be on hold for 10 minutes which isn't too bad um but then they've got a whole lot of due diligence due diligence to go through which again is you know it's it's right that they're doing that they're asking the right questions they're trying to safeguard people but that might take another five or ten minutes for them to confirm that you are who you say you are and that you're the authorised person, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can kind of get down to business. And and usually by the time you get to that point, you can generally get the, the questions answered that you need answered. But it, it is it is something you need to sort of set aside a little bit of time so, to do. So, so buy, beware, buy time if you need to. But the, other, but the other thing that seems to come through when we have a bit of a natter about this with you as well, Warren, is that um, prepare early. I mean, don't leave it until the last moment. Maybe you should be thinking about how you want to um, organise your life five, six years out maybe. Just get, just give yourself some options so that you're not rushed into decisions later on. If ill health becomes a factor, you know, pressing family issues crop up. Yep. Brendan, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that people often have a bit of a sense of, um, you know, oh, well, it's happening to everybody else, but it's not going to happen to me. I'm, I'm feeling fine. And, and I guess, unfortunately, you, you do sort of have to recognise that as you get older, your circumstances can change quite rapidly. I think that's the key thing that people don't, or perhaps tend to underestimate, is that because you're fine now, that's terrific. You should keep doing everything that you're doing that's that's maintaining your lifestyle and maintaining your health. But unfortunately, as you get older um, and, and just generalised frailty starts to become a factor. So we're talking here about, you know, 75 plus, probably 80 plus, and then again it increases... 85 seems to be a bit of a threshold for a lot of people where um, once you get to 85, even if you've enjoyed good health up until that point, your frailty and vulnerability to sort of rapid change in your health status uh, seems to increase exponentially every year from 85 plus and the risks of dementia shoot up from that point on you know it's all a bit I'm, I'm sorry for those of you out there that are 85 plus it sounds a bit doom and gloom but um, it's really about just going well once I get to that point I really need to do my homework and start start getting family and friends to help you if you need it to look online there's a lot of information out there dig into the background of these companies um, make sure you look past the marketing because that's one of the other things that come that's come out, and I guess that's one of the things that there's been some discussion with respect to Booper as well about their their marketing being quite sophisticated, and then perhaps what they're delivering isn't matching 
what they've marked. And, and the cost of that delivery as well. And those of you that are 85 plus or a little bit older, don't uh, don't fear because we've got uh, Lisa Westlake coming up in just a moment when we wish uh, Warren farewell here at the age stage. She's going to be telling us all about how we to remain active older and reduce our chances of a premature death or untimely illnesses. Yep. And Lisa is here to answer all those questions in just a moment. Um, but before we let Warren go, just a couple of other issues I just want to touch on, Warren, this time round. Um, the uh, federal election uh, is uh, there or thereabouts. Uh, we, it's confronting us uh, madly next month. I'm just wondering, are you seeing any major trends or issues coming through the headlines? I mean, we've got the uh, superannuation seems to be bubbling away as a little bit of a contender mm. for a major chat in the next week or so as far as the candidate, candidates are concerned. And the franking issue as well in terms of how it might be uh, going to affect uh, what retirees can expect in terms of what they're taking away from the share market. Uh, Brendan, uh, look, yes, I think unfortunately that seems to be the only discussion that's really going on in the aged care space. There doesn't seem to be anyone looking at more broadly what's happening with residential aged care and home care packages and there's been no significant announcements in that area. I think that in terms of how the franking credits and superannuation may impact on retirees with respect to aged care, the impact's probably not going to be that great because from my reading of it, you're talking about people that are right up in the higher incomes, fully self-funded retiree bracket who've presumably and often got quite substantial assets and investments. So for them, uh, aged care, the funded aged care system, whether it be residential or home care, is going to be an expensive exercise anyway. We often see people who will look at that and by the time they do their sums, they'll actually decide that it's just as easy and more cost-effective and less mucking around to just self-fund their home care to stay at home. And that is an option for people that have got the money to do it because the the government does uh, really want to make you pay these days and uh, and there there is a sort of a cut-off point where it's almost more trouble than it's worth. So what would that cut-off be in terms of what you've got sort of saved up? No. <laughs> I couldn't really give you those okay. figures off the top of the head. That's something Centrelink determines, but it's it's really people that, that wouldn't be entitled to any sort of pension at all. It, once you get to that point, um, because that's usually assets uh, tested, you really want to be going and talking to your financial advisor or your accountant and, and getting further advice about what the benefits are for you in going into uh, aged care or potentially into an aged care home at some stage in the future. So once again, uh, early preparation is probably a very good idea Mm -hmm. and read in and uh, buyer beware because you've really got to get your head around this otherwise the consequences can be quite serious and perhaps quite traumatic for you and as we were learning from Anne McLeish earlier on as well, perhaps for other members of your family as well, if they're relying on you to provide some services in mm. terms of what they did with the grandkids, where the grandkids go after school, all yes. that sort of stuff, and whether they're going to be uh, getting a little bit of financial assistance as well. You just can't take anything for granted these days. I think that's probably the biggest thing error that we see people make is they go, oh, yes, well, I used to have some dealings with this organisation or another, and it'll be... 20 years ago and they'll go you know so they've I formed a good impression of them or I liked their marketing and uh, I'm just going to go with them and then we see these people come back to us three six months afterwards saying I want to transfer because it turned out that it wasn't anything like what I thought it was going to be. And at Aftercare Australasia you provide that service you can give people some insights and you can give them some assistance by the sounds of it as well. Hey? Really happy to talk that through with people over the phone and then if people think they need a bit more 
information, what we do is we come out. I, it's usually me. Uh, we'll come out as the general manager, so you're hearing it, you know, right from the top of the organisation, and we'll go through with everyone what their options are. It's not a high pressure sales technique. That's not who we're about. It's really about information, so people can make an informed choice. And if they think we're the right one for them, terrific. We're happy to provide that service. And if we're not, they should go and look somewhere else. That's that's the joy of a of a marketplace, Brendan. That's how it's meant to work. And Judy, for disclosure here as well, of course, after Care Australasia are a generous sponsor of the Age Stage, and we just need to be aware of that as we go forward. Warren Haynes, thank you very much indeed for joining us again this week on the program. We see you every other week here on the Age Stage. We appreciate your time, your insights, and also your knowledge in the sector. It's very, very valuable to us. My pleasure, Brendan. The Age Stage, uh, made possible with the support of Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. Warren, thank you very much indeed. We'll be catching up with you, as we were saying, in a couple of weeks from now. In a moment, fitness expert and health expert Lisa Westlake on new American research that shows it is never too late to take up exercise. And the extra good news is, if you do, you're going to reduce the chances of a premature death. It's worth hanging around and listening to that one. Lisa, in just a moment. Underwood BFM across the Mornington Peninsula. Great to have your company. The Age Stage coming to you from the Bendigo Bank Studios. Good to have your company this Thursday morning. Let's move it on to a little bit of activity this time. Lisa Westlake has uh, dropped by to say hello to us in the Age Stage. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Brendan. Great um, to see you. Good. We haven't seen you for a while. Um, you have been around broadcasting in the health and fitness industry for many a long year, have you not? Yes, indeed. And you have some credibility as well in terms of media and radio because you used to work in the ABC, I think, for a number of years, did you? I not? did. I used to have a lot of fun talking health and fitness on a Saturday morning. You did. And I think, was it was it with Angela Caterns? No, it was initially with Tonya Roberts oh, and then yes. Hilary Harper. And sometimes I go on in the middle of the night with Greg, Greg Chappell. Fantastic. Um, anyway, you're here now. You're in a, in down here at the Age Stage and RPFM, so it's lovely to have your company here. So the reason you're here is I thought it was time that we had to sort of reinvest some time in health and uh, what we're doing in terms of activity and lifestyle for us older Australians. But also an article that I saw the other day, becoming active older can still reduce chances of premature death which I thought was probably pretty important as well. And we were speaking earlier on in the program to Warren Haynes about uh, this magic year 85 when things start to really slow down a little bit. Maybe we can approach that as well at some stage in this little segment. But nevertheless, becoming active older, very, very important, is it not? It's never too late. That's the big message. It's never too late to start exercise. And the the article that you sent me to have a look at is very interesting. It's a very well-published article, uh, Journal of American Medical Association. It is indeed. And it was done on very large numbers, so it's very reliable. And it, it was very interesting to say that basically e- even if you were – whatever you did in your younger life, fitness-wise, if you had a break – it's still absolutely worthwhile starting exercise again. The benefits of exercise can reverse a lot of the things that lead towards risks of illness and dying. However, (laughs) there are some other great research projects that tell us other things. For example, this journal that we've just said, you know, it's never too late to start, don't leave it. If, you've, if you can, get started now because the longer you leave it, the more changes can have set into our bodies. So the harder it is to prevent the problems. We want to do prevention rather than management. So before 
changes to our heart occur, for example. So get started as soon as we can. So let's take an example. Um, in the old days, I used to go and swim down the back beach at um, Portsea, for instance. And yes. Tommy Hafey used to love going swimming down there as well. And I could never believe at that stage, seeing this old guy, relatively, uh, in his 60s, I guess he was then, with the muscle mass he had on his body in those days was just incredible. Can we regain our muscle mass? Yes, we can. Yes. I can look like Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> hmm. Probably not exactly Arnie, but, but you can certainly build your strength and mobility and flexibility and balance in order to help you manage the challenges of that life brings us in daily life more effectively and have a higher quality of life. So again, getting back to this particular article, um, we're talking about sedentary lifestyle. We've got to change that. And you're saying as well that if we can change that, get active, then we can definitely start doing things like addressing issues of heart health and muscle mass, mobility, and uh, enjoying the later phases of our lives as well. Yes. So if you were physically active as a younger person, and then you took 10, 20 years off for whatever reason, you got too busy, work, children, whatever, and then in your 50s or 60s, you thought, I'll get started again, then that is absolutely valuable. After the big long break, your heart and your risk of illnesses is not much better than someone who didn't exercise at all. However, if you do get started again in your 50s or 60s, you can definitely increase your physical ability, your mental health, and your risk of illness. You can combat all those risks that go hand in hand with aging, but if you can just keep going, exercise when you're younger, keep it up, that's even better because it's hard to get going after stopping for 10, 20 years. Okay, so I've been smashing out a massive career, professional career up in the city. I used to be active early as, a, as an example. So this is an example. So I used to be active early, then I decided to concentrate on my career up in the city. But now my later life, like many people on the Mornington Peninsula, I'm coming down to live here on the Mornington Peninsula. All of a sudden I've got a little bit of extra leisure time. I'm enjoying to get outdoors. I love the beach, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to see my doctor first. He's going to give me some ideas about how I should be improving what I'm doing physically or do I just go hard out? Definitely always see your doctor when you're starting an exercise program, especially for those in the second half of life because it's good just to have your blood pressure and your heart checked out so that you can work within your abilities. That's really important. But the real key message is do get started. If you do happen to have a condition or an ache or a pain, then you've got to work around that. And that's when it's good to get really good advice about what exercise you should be doing. Okay. So uh, having had that discussion and they, those decisions are made, I'm out and about. I'm also doing things like looking at my sleep patterns. I'm also probably thinking about my um, diet as well. Yes, indeed. Yes, um, I'm a big advocate for getting good sleep, healthy diet, lots of lots of fresh vegetables, some lean protein, a nice. I, I'm not one for cutting anything out of a diet, and treats are treats. Enjoy them. Life's about enjoyment, but keep treats occasional so that they are treats. <laughs> So getting back to this um, research paper then, uh, which is produced, as you say, in the United States, um, it was saying that uh, sedentary lifestyle is, is pretty prevalent at the moment. We've got to do something about that. Definitely. And uh, as you were saying before, if we do get active in our later lives, it is possible to regain uh, where we once were, perhaps, eh? Yes. Uh, and there's a few other, there's a little bit more to it. Um, I've just been listening to a great 
podcast where Benjamin Levine was interviewed. Now, he's a cardiologist from Dallas and he has done some amazing research that confirms all of this. He particularly looks at heart health. Our heart changes kick in in our 50s, 60s. So if you're thinking, oh, I've been sedentary for a while, I'm going to get going again, the first message is try and get started before these heart changes really settle in. So it's better to start in your 50s than waiting till your late 60s. Secondly, four to five times a week is much more effective than two to three. And this would be short bursts, four to five? Uh, his final study showed us that if you could include a more intense exercise routine one of those sessions a week and a longer one one of those sessions per week that was the most effective for really building uh, fitness and resistance to health problems that tend to be associated with aging so i'm older i'm probably going to get myself a fitbit or something like that i'm going to keep an eye on my heart rate as i do my deadly treadly stuff up and down the nepean highway on a sunday morning am i yes and of course the other thing is if you've had 10 to 20 years off then you've got to acknowledge your baseline. Your, where, you're, where are you beginning? Are you relatively fit and well because you've been a laborer or had a very physical life? Or have you been sitting at a desk for those 20 years and maybe you're carrying some extra weight? So we really have to be careful, especially for those who are a little older, that we don't create problems by going too hard too fast. And this is where getting an expert, a personal trainer with an interest in this demographic or even a physio if you have any issues with your knees, hips and so, so that you can start and enjoy the benefits of exercise without aggravating any problems. You're tuned up to RPPFM coming to you from the Bendigo Bank Studios right here in beautiful Wilson's Road in Monaghan, speaking to Lisa Westlake here on the Age Stage. Um, so Lisa, we've been talking about some of the guys, the Tommy Hafees of this world, the Arnie Schwarzeneggers. What about women and older women as well? Any special lessons, any caveats we should be thinking about for them? Well, women also benefit from strength work. It's it's not just guys who should lift weights and there's a lot about um, living longer, living stronger, just doing weights. Of course, flexibility and balance is important for all ages and males and females. The big thing that's a little bit, well, the extra, let's say the extra cherry on the pie for women is they really need some attention to their pelvic floor. So everyone needs core, everyone needs strength, posture, balance, flexibility, uh, but women in particular need to put a little bit of extra thought and care into exercising their pelvic floor. And if they have any issues with their pelvic floor, and this is a topic in its own right, because many women do, if they have any concerns with bladder or bowel control, then they should see a women's health physio before they go ahead and do too much exercise because there's lots they can do to help that. So an exercise regime you are saying could address some of these issues for some women. Yes. Given the right guidance and the right intervention as far as the medicos are concerned. Indeed. Gee, that's very hopeful, isn't it? Oh, look, exercise is the magic pill. Okay. So what are you recommending then for older Australians? You know, as I said, uh, the guys have done 20 hard years up in town. They've decided to come down here in the Mornington Peninsula and the wife is here with them as well. What are they doing? Are they doing running? Are they doing jogging? Are they doing swimming? What are you recommending? Anything in particular? Firstly, All of these? Uh, well, well, firstly, medical checkup to see if there's any limitations due to their heart, their blood sugars, do they have any conditions? And if so, that might need a little bit of extra thought. Secondly, any physical limitations, knees, hips, backs, we don't want to go making them worse. So we have to work within those boundaries. And then after that, 
big thing is what do you enjoy? There's no point in me saying to a group of older ladies, let's all go to the pool because that's really good, which it is. Exercise in the water is just such a great option because it's buoyant, it's less resistance, but you can work hard. Swimming is quite enjoyable. There's no point in me saying that if women don't like getting their hair wet. You've got to enjoy it. It's got to be accessible. But mixing it up is the other really big message I like to push because we don't want to do the same thing every day. A, it's not so exciting. We want to keep it interesting. And B, we don't want to do the same thing every day because that puts a certain stress in our body. So if you swam one day and you walked another day and maybe you did a gentle strength or a strength training class another day and an aqua aerobics class and a dance class. My God, you'd be, Why su- not? You'd be super fit. And think of all that wonderful balance that you're creating across across your whole body. It'd be incredible. And your disposition, of course, would be mightily improved as well. Your, uh, and emotion- your mental health. Your, your emotional state as well. But uh, just getting back to where we started from as well. So this um, significant research in the United States, uh, 315,000 uh, people were uh, surveyed showing that if they did improve their exercise and their exercise regime late in life, and they can uh, reduce their chances of premature death and improve their life and uh, living. Quality of life as well, for sure, and prevent or manage any conditions that might come along with ageing. Lisa, lovely to catch up with you again. Thank you very much indeed. You will be a regular on the Age Stage from time to time, so if we see anything, you will be called in here. You'll be co-opted into the Age Stage studio. It's always great to catch up with you. Thank you. And that's it for another week here at The Age Stage. Thank you very much indeed for your company this week. I'm Brendan Telfer. Thanks to our guests as well, Han McLeish from grandparents.com and Kinship Carers, Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasian, of course, Lisa Westlake as well. And I'm delighted to say that uh, we'll be welcoming them all back from time to time here on The Age Stage. Thanks to our sponsors, Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. The Age Stage returns in seven days' time. Stay safe until then. Speak to you soon. Mm-hmm.